My plan for this week was to talk about active followers. But then uh, last week, after hearing Ian preach, I wondered if maybe I should make a new plan. Because uh, I think he really emphasized that need to be active, um, to take action. And so thanks, Ian, for the passionate challenge to us to actively engage. Um, so I probably this morning don't need to emphasize the active part of being an active follower because uh, I agree with Ian. Uh, it, it's not like in the church there are two categories. There's the active followers and then there's the passive followers. No, uh, we're, we're all active followers if we're truly following Christ. And true faith leads to works. And faith without works, as James says, and Ian mentioned, is dead. It's not faith at all. And so the question really is not, am I an active follower or a passive follower? The question is, am I a follower? Am I truly a servant or a follower of Jesus? And how do I know that I'm an active follower or a servant of God? Well, the good news is that when Jesus, while he was on earth, when he chose his followers, he didn't choose them because they were talented or popular, or wealthy, or even good-looking, necessarily. We see, as we read about them, they were a sinful, selfish group of people, probably more similar to ourselves than we would care to admit. But, but why did he choose them to be his active followers? I mean, what was it about this uneducated rabble that qualified them to be Jesus' active followers? Well, let's save that question. We'll we'll kind of tuck that away and we'll come back to it later. Uh, But I believe Jesus still wants people to follow Him today. Amen? Do you agree? Yeah, He does. He is looking for followers. So I don't want you to get hung up in the vision statement on the active Uh, Part of it, if you're following Jesus, if you're believing in Jesus, you're going to be active. And we see this all throughout the Bible. We see this all throughout history. We, We see this process of people following God. And because they're followers of Jesus, they take action. The two go together. And so I, I just finished a series of messages how, excuse me, how, how if you're a believer of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has given you gifts to be used. And so in other words, a follower of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, God has purposes for you. He has a job or jobs for you to do. And so are you actively following? Are you pursuing or following His special purposes in your life? The reason I ask these questions is because in our text this morning, 1 Samuel chapter 16, God has a rather significant special purpose for someone in Israel. And he needs an active follower, to be sure. And so with that in mind, uh, as we look at 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 13, in the context there, we're going to discover two characteristics that God looks at in choosing his followers and one characteristic that he does not look at. 1 Samuel 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? 
Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You're to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons that you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. And then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. And Samuel then went to Ramah. So to understand this, leading up to chapter 16, if you were to read that book, you would see how King Saul has continuously decided to follow himself instead of God in his kingship. Uh, For example, he makes sacrifices instead of waiting for the priests to come and make them, as they should. And then later on, uh, Saul doesn't destroy everything as God had commanded him to, and so on. And so this is where we pick up the story in chapter 16. Samuel is mourning over the rejection of Saul. And I think we've already learned the first characteristic that God is looking for in his followers in this, uh, before this passage even, And that is that he's looking for obedience. If God has a job to do, he wants an obedient follower to do it. Not one who reluctantly moves out of a sense of duty. As king of Israel, Saul knew what was right. He knew the commands of God, but he failed to do them. And instead of showing loving obedience, he often did his duties with a sense of performance before God. And so as we think about that, don't we often do the same? But I believe there's a difference between obedience to God and performance for God. Let me give you some examples. Obedience is inviting guests to your home for dinner. Performance is feeling anxious about whether every detail of the meal will be perfect. 
Obedience is finding ways to let the Word of God dwell in you richly. Performance is quickly scanning a passage so you can check it off your Bible reading list. Obedience is doing your best. Performance is wanting to be the best. Obedience is saying yes to whatever God asks of you. Performance is saying yes to whatever people ask of you. Obedience springs from a fear of God. Performance springs from a fear of failure. See the contrast there. All outward acts that are good to do, but there's a difference between obedience and performance. And and God knows that as His followers, we're often like Saul. We're performing at times, but we're not obedient with all that we are. We've all sinned, which is why God sent to us a greater king than even David. We give praise for giving us Jesus Christ, who was completely obedient in dying for us, that Jesus Christ, the King of kings, became a man and followed the will of His Father obediently. And through His forgiveness and power, then we can and should be obedient followers as well, unlike the example of Saul. So, what are characteristics of God's followers? What distinguishes a follower from someone who is not a follower? I think that's an important question. The first characteristic we've already talked about is obedience. This is a person who's willing to say yes. This is a person who's willing to take action and outwardly obey. Strangely enough, as you read the story of Saul, this does describe him early on in his kingship. He did say yes when God called him. He was very reluctant in doing so, but eventually he says yes, and initially he's obedient to God's commands. And earlier in chapter 9, we're given some specific details about Saul. It says, uh, chapter 9, verse 2 says, He was an impressive young man without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. So, If Saul was a house or a building, to use an illustration from last week, he would be an amazing-looking building on the outside. But as Ian pointed out for us last week about buildings, if the structure, or or rather, the structure of the building can be amazing, it can look good, it can look good on the outside, but if the foundation of the building is not solid, it's not going to last. Likewise, uh, in 1 Samuel 16, the second thing we see is a characteristic that God is not looking at in his followers is the outward appearance. Samuel appears in the house of Jesse and he's looking for the new king. And when Samuel arrives, he sees Eliab, Jesse's oldest son. And apparently Eliab has a kind of royal look to him because Samuel was sure that this was the new king. But no. Verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. Thankful for that part of the verse. I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Jesse had six more sons. Many of them look like they would be first round draft picks for royalty. But each time, Samuel has to say no. 
This isn't the one the Lord has chosen. So, so we see that things on the outside do not always indicate what is inside. Samuel's letting Jesse know here that, as some people say, a mule dressed in a tuxedo is still a mule. The appearance of the structure is not that important compared to the foundation. Verse 11. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's tending the sheep. Samuel says, send for him. We're not going to sit down until he arrives. So then David arrives. And he's not a bad-looking guy. Apparently he's handsome. He is the youngest, though. And most commentators say that he's somewhere around 15 years old. He has no government experience at all. And really the only thing he knows is how to tend sheep. And if you think about it, he hasn't even been invited to the dinner with the prophet. So definitely a dark horse candidate for king here. But verse 12, Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. He is the one. And Samuel anoints him as king. So this tells us clearly that God is looking at, or rather not looking at, the outward appearance of his followers. One characteristic God is not looking at is outward appearances in order to choose who will follow him or in order to choose who will lead Israel. And yet in our country today, it seems we measure most things by the external appearance. The Apostle Paul goes against this approach as well. In Galatians 2.6, he says... As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. So we see in 1 Samuel 16, first that God looks at obedience in his followers. Secondly, he doesn't look at outward appearances. He wants to know what's the foundation, what's in the heart. And it's clear that we are being examined to see if we have God's heart. In biblical language, the heart means the center of the human spirit from which spring the emotions or the thoughts, the motivations, the courage, and the action. This is our foundation out of which our obedience flows. And while we don't get a picture of Saul's heart in 1 Samuel, we do see his lack of obedience, which flows out of his heart as well. We're also told earlier that in 1 Samuel 13, God would take the kingdom from Saul and he would give it to a man after his own heart, who is David. Other scriptures show us that David himself understands the importance of a pure heart for God's servants or followers. In Psalm 51.10, for example, David writes, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And then in Psalm 139.23 and 24, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Well, in our text this morning, David is seen as the obedient and the pure king in comparison to Saul. 
We know later that he is disobedient and that he is impure at times himself. And I think that's a good reminder of us that though David was a great king, he was a shadow or a forerunner of a greater king who is yet to come. And of course, that's the person of Jesus Christ. Once there was a professor of a chemistry class and he was teaching his students how acids break down or work on different substances. And so he thought it would be fun if he gave the students a challenge. And so he gave each student uh, a piece of gold and he challenged them to try to find an acid that would dissolve that piece of gold. And so the students uh, left their pieces of gold in different containers overnight, left them soaking in different acids, which they wanted to experiment with and see what would work. But in the morning when they came back, they found that every piece was unchanged. Even though they had the strongest acids they thought there that that would break things down, nothing touched this gold. Well, then the professor gave them one additional substance that he hadn't given them before. It was called aqua regia. And he told them to dissolve the gold in that substance. And so uh, the gold that had resisted all the other acids quickly disappeared in this new powerful substance. Then the professor said, I don't think it would hurt the lesson this morning if I take time to tell you that there's one other substance that is just as impenetrable as gold. It can't be touched or changed, though a hundred attempts are made upon it. And that substance is our own sinful heart. Trial and affliction, riches and honor, imprisonment and punishment will not soften or master it. Education and culture will not dissolve and purify it. There is one element that has power over it, and that is the blood of Christ the Savior, the purifier of the soul. And so God is indeed this morning looking for followers with pure hearts. But I want you to know that that's only possible through the cleansing power of Jesus Christ and through His blood. And the good news is that Jesus can not only forgive your sin, He can wash it as white as snow, and He can give you, by the Holy Spirit, His righteousness. Earlier in the message, I asked you if you were a follower or an active follower of Jesus. And before answering that question this morning, uh, I think it's important for me to say, first of all, that your faith in Jesus means that God has already chosen you as His child. That your salvation, your obedience to God, and your purity of heart can only be found in Him. And He offers these things to you and I just as he offered his first followers on earth a life of following him. Which reminds me, why did Jesus choose this original motley crew of followers? Well, I would submit to you that he chose them in the same way that God has always chosen his followers. He didn't choose them because of their outward appearance or their reputation or education. That is for sure. I believe He chose them because He knew they would say yes. 
They were people available to him. They were crazy enough to follow him around and do what he was doing. And so he chose them not because they were pure of heart or sinless. Far from it. But because they had hearts that were open to being transformed by him. And this would take time. And this would be a process. And it's the same way for you and I. It would take a while. And there was even one of them who rejected the offer, if you remember Judas. But Jesus was looking for active followers who would be obedient and wholeheartedly follow Him. Even if they had no idea what they were doing. Even if they had no idea what the next step was. And I think that's a pretty accurate description of you and I this morning. I've got to be careful what I say, but we're not, we all have gifts, we're spiritually gifted, but we're not special in ourselves. We still have that sinful heart, we all do, that needs the blood of Jesus, that needs His transformation, that it's, that it's Him that makes us special, that it's Him that makes us and gives us the power to be an active follower of Him. And it's a process that we're in. But it's a great process. Ephesians 2.10 tells us, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So it's clear that God does have important jobs or tasks for you and I to do. But the question is, will we allow God to reign over us or to reign in our hearts. Because if we ask Him to reign in our hearts, His Spirit can begin that transformation or continue that transformation in our hearts. He wants us to do that. In fact, He's prepared good works for us to do for those whose hearts belong to Him. Because when He has our hearts, when He has laid the foundation, good works flow out of that. And while this morning I can't tell you specifically what those good works are, I can't decide that for you, I can be confident that God is still looking and longing for His followers to actively seek Him and follow Him. And in this passage this morning, we've seen that He is looking for followers that are not overly concerned with their outward appearance, but followers who are wholeheartedly His and followers who will be obedient to His Word by the Spirit. 